Star Wars, give me those Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, don't have that Hello and welcome back to Give Me Those Star Wars, the official Star Wars show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and my guest today is the host of King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun, as well as the Superman and Captain Marvel Power Hour Podcast. Please welcome Mr. Kyle Benning. How are you, man? I'm great. Hey, thanks for having me aboard. It's great to have you on the show at last. And I almost called you Kylo Benning, the thing that Shag mentioned. Uh, yeah. It's so good for your name, though. It just lends itself. Kyle, Kylo, Ben, Benning, Ben Solo, Ren. It's I know. It's, it's all there. Yeah. It's, it's almost too perfect. So. Someone from work picked up on that as well. And there's <laughs> a lot of days at work. I wish I could have a three-bladed lightsaber and cut things up. <laughs> Oh, who doesn't? Uh, People, Kyle and I are going to talk about our favorite elements from the Star Wars prequel trilogy. And in case you're thinking that this is yet another April Fool's episode, it is not a joke. We have each prepared a list of five things from The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, or Revenge of the Sith that we genuinely like, sort of. Uh, But before we get there, Kyle, you and I have talked about Star Wars a lot. Uh, you appeared on a half a dozen or so episodes of my previous Star Wars show, Dead Moth and Spies. But this is a new podcast with potentially a new audience, so can you tell us, how did you become a Star Wars fan? Well, the first movie I remember ever watching part of, I know, was Return of the Jedi. And what sticks out in that is the Gamorrean guards in Jabba's palace, because they looked like pigs. And we had lived in <laughs> rural Iowa on a farm. We had pigs. So I remember watching that pretty young, maybe three and then probably when I was around the four or five, my parents went out one night or whatever, and we went over to a babysitter's, and she had the original Star Wars movie, well, all three of them, the original trilogies, on VHS. And so we popped in the first one and watched that, and I was just blown away. After that, it was there was no going back. So I was really excited. And the next week when my parents went out again, the, who, what babysitter do you want? And I don't even remember the lady's name, but demanded that we get that, that lady again. Then we watched uh, Empire Strikes Back, and that has always been my favorite of, of the Star Wars movies, and definitely probably my top three movies of all time, with uh, Ghostbusters and uh, Superman the movie. Nice. And, Good uh, yep. After that, uh, my small town of uh, 10,000 people, which is a fairly decent size for Iowa, also the birthplace of Marvel Comics Hawkeye. But uh, <laughs> at that time, it would have been around uh, 1990, 1991, uh, we would have probably four or five different places in town that had movie rentals, but there was only one you could get any of the Star Wars movies. They had all three, and that was Movies America, which had a $10 monthly fee, and then their movie rentals were super expensive. Like I want to say they were five, seven, maybe 10 bucks a pop to rent a movie there for hmm. three nights, and so uh, it was at least once a month. A lot of times, every weekend, I would convince my parents to go pick up at least one of them, if not all three, and we would watch them every weekend. And uh, They loved them. Uh, shortly after that, it's kind of when they had the resurgence in the 90s, and they released the new tri- or the original trilogy back on VHS, so my parents, tired of spending <laughs> 20 bucks a, a week or whatever during all those movies, just bought that for me. 
And then I remember the uh, first Star Wars figure I ever got was the Han Solo and Stormtrooper disguise from, a, it was, I want to say it was an Applejack's box, uh, Mailaway. Remember, I waited forever for that thing, and then I finally just gave up on it, that it was never going to come. And then I remember coming down uh, some Saturday afternoon after a nap, and it was a little white box sitting in my spot on the table that it was there for me, and opened it up, and oh man, that was awesome. Nice. And so I uh, got really big into the uh, Power of the Force 2 uh, line from there. I had a deal worked out pretty well with my parents. Uh, every time I scored a goal in soccer or hit a home run in baseball, I got a new action figure. And so I did pretty well for myself in that department. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, yeah, just at that point. Prequels came along. I enjoyed them, but they certainly didn't engage me as much as the original trilogy. Still a lot of enjoyment out of that. I was going to say uh, a lot of aspects that I like, but sitting down to try to make this list of five things was a lot tougher than I, than I thought it would have been. So uh, I enjoy them for what they are. I think that they were still all right and watchable, but the uh, a lot of the things they, they added or brought to the table were technological advances that kind of got left in the dust then by The Force Awakens that also had enjoyable story and character elements on top of it. So mm-hmm. uh, because of the, the greatness of it is Force Awakens, I don't think that uh, a prequel trilogy ages very well now. No, no. I'm still back at the beginning of your story when you got asked which babysitter you want and like a little kid version of you is like just whoever it is who had the Star Wars movies, the girl with the Star Wars movies. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, listeners, it is time for Star Wars Current Events. This is a part of the show where my guest and I talk about something new in the realm of Star Wars movies, comics, books, or even the theme parks that are coming to Disneyland. I will give you the spoiler warning before we talk about the entertainment topics, but before that... Some sad news. As Kyle and I are recording this, the news just broke that yesterday, April 3rd, the voice actor behind Admiral Akbar and Bib Fortuna passed away. The man's name was Eric Bowersfeld. He was a producer, director, and star of radio drama for KFPA, a radio station based in Berkeley, California, I believe. Bowersfeld occasionally did voice acting work for movies. Uh, his first was Return of the Jedi, although according to Wikipedia, he actually auditioned for the part of Yoda in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, he also did voices in the Steven Spielberg movie AI Artificial Intelligence and the recent Guillermo del Toro movie Crimson Peak. And of course, most recently, he returned to play Akbar in The Force Awakens. Uh, he was 93 years old when he passed away. Kyle, other than saying that we are both sad that the man has died, do you have any thoughts about this? No, it's kind of a a bit of a shock, I guess. I, I never really thought too much uh, about the, the guy behind uh, Admiral Akbar and the, probably the, the single most famous line from the entire trilogy. <laughs> well, probably second after I Am Your Father, but uh, right. It's a Trap is definitely right up there. I mean, if you uh, think about all the memes and all the comedy that's come out of that one line, it's... Yeah, yeah. It's, Again, according to like one of the sources that I was looking at, supposedly he was he was known in California radio at the time, and he was working with Lucasfilm on some other project. And one of the guys in Lucasfilm's like working for Ben Burt just brought him in, said, "Do you want to do some voices?" And I guess this guy Eric Bowersfeld, he saw a picture of Admiral Akbar and instantly knew what his voice would sound like. So. It's. I mean, it was really cool that they got to bring him back for his tiny little cameo appearance in The Force Awakens. I've always liked that character. I just, I loved the look of the Mon Calamari, 
and I always was, you know, fascinated by their appearances in other books or the comics. So he may, and I think a lot of it is owing to his voice. That was really a, a, an incredible and a memorable voice that really stood out in Return of the Jedi. So it sucks that yeah, we must have been, him anymore. Yeah. yeah, he must have been a really talented voice actor with quite a bit of range. I mean, he's mentioned he also did uh, Bib Fortuna. I mean, mm-hmm. two totally different sides of the scale there. Of, right, right. I would have never guessed in a millionaire million years that that was the same voice actor doing both voices. So. Yeah, we will miss him. I don't know if they'll if they ever need to use Admiral Akbar in the future movies or if they'll just recast, but we'll see. Um, now, for the listeners, potential spoiler warning. On this segment, Kyle and I are going to briefly touch upon the second season of Star Wars Rebels, the special features included in the Force Awakens Blu-ray and digital release, and two new Star Wars comics from Marvel. If you don't want to hear this part because you're avoiding spoilers or you're just simply not interested in these topics, skip this segment. The start time for each segment is listed in the show notes. You can fast forward to a safe point. Alright, first up, The Force Awakens special features. Kyle, you said that you haven't seen them yet, correct? Correct. Okay. I've only just seen them this past weekend. Still kind of processing, but I'll give our listeners general impressions. Um, There are six or seven deleted scenes... They're okay. I don't think any of them are missing from the movie. None of them make the movie better. Like, none of them needed to be in the movie. Some of them are just kind of meh. Uh, I think maybe the most interesting one is we actually see the Resistance base and we meet Leia and C-3PO and some of the other Resistance characters before we would actually see them in the movie. It takes place at an earlier time, so this would have been our introduction to those characters. That's kind of interesting, but it's still nothing special. Um, it's kind of cool seeing Kylo Ren on the Millennium Falcon after it's like crashed in the snow, and you sort of get a sense of him kind of feeling like he grew up on this ship. He was there when he was a kid, and now he's he's really kind of tempted. He doesn't want to have this confrontation with his father, but he knows he's going to have to. It wouldn't have made the movie any better if it was in it. I think they, they were smart to cut it. The -the behind-the-scenes stuff, the making of featurettes, those are all really cool. I enjoyed them. Nothing blew me away, but they were fun. They were enjoyable. That's mostly it. I I didn't pre-order the digital release because I was super excited about the special features. I did it because I wanted to watch the movie again this past weekend. I'm sure there will be other versions and they'll have other content. I know they filmed other stuff that is not on this release, so... We'll see. They, they'll probably do like a deluxe expanded version at some point, or or many. Now, on the deleted scenes, mm-hmm. are you able to play the movie with those inserted in? No. Just so there's not like an expanded cut with those reinserted back? No. At least, I mean, not on the digital version. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't imagine that you can. They're all time-stamped, too, so they're clearly... And some of them have like detailed like action with vehicle stuff, and you can tell that the visual effects are not finished. Okay. Um, like, there's one with the X-Wings taking off to go on the final mission. There's one with Ray and Finn on a snowspeeder. It's the new version of the snowspeeder, which is nowhere near as cool as the original one from Empire Strikes Back. Damn it. I know. But there's, like, a snowspeeder chase that, again, it, it's okay, but it you can kind of see it's like, yeah, the CGI in this one isn't up to snuff yet. They I think they realized before they finished that, it's like, yeah, this scene is going to be cut. We don't need to spend any more time on this. Okay. Um, because that was one thing about the uh, Gardens of the Galaxy. I really enjoyed all those uh, deleted scenes. I wish there was a way to watch the movie with those inserted back in. Yeah, and 
actually on the Incredible Hulk, the Edward Norton one. Yep. If you get like, if you look at all of the deleted scenes and the expanded scenes on that one, I think those would have made the movie much better if all oh, of those I agree. were in there. Yeah. I got that like three disc deluxe edition or whatever when it came out. Yeah, I mean, those was loaded with extras. Great character beats in that one. Some great dialogue scenes with William Hurt and Tim Roth, but. Anyway, okay, so moving on. Season 2 of Rebels has finished. Neither Kyle or I kept current with that. I think I only watched the first two episodes of the season. Kyle, how much did you see of season 2? I want to say I watched the first six or seven. Uh, okay. One of the last episodes I would have saw had Lando in it. and yeah, That's right, I knew he came back, yeah. Uh, Vader was definitely starting to feature more prominently. I, I have them all waiting for me recorded. I just haven't made the time to sit down and knock them out some night. The first season really surprised me. I didn't go into it expecting much, but I thought the first season was a lot of fun. And I just kind of lost the sense of urgency when the second season came around. And I want to watch it, and now that it's all done, you know, I'll, I'll go back and see it. There was just something I need that I didn't... And it also, I think the second season just started bringing back a lot of elements from the Clone Wars cartoon. And I didn't love the Clone Wars cartoon. I only watched the first two seasons of that. Yeah, I think a lot of that, I I wonder if some of it was a a little bit about the timing. We were getting all primed up, waiting. Hey, there's a year before Force Awakens. You know, you really kind of get your Star Wars appetite whetted, and that was kind of filling that that need leading up to it. And it's not to say there was necessarily a a drop-off in quality, but that hunger for more Star Wars was satisfied pretty well by Force Awakens. And like you said, it just doesn't create such an urgency then to digest Rebels as it comes out. I think you're right. I think that's exactly what it was. You know, when the first season hit, that was all I had. I was like, yeah, that was my Star Wars fix. And now that I've got Force Awakens and I know that the next one is a year away, now it's only like eight months away, and then everything is kind of like, well, I don't need the cartoon. I like it, but I can watch it on my own time instead of the show's time. So, yeah. I enjoyed it. I want to get back to it, and I will at some point. So I'm sure I'll do a future episode of this show talking about Season 2 of Rebels. But uh, moving on to comics really quickly, I think we are both really excited about the Poe Dameron series, the ongoing series published by Marvel. That series will have started by the time this episode airs, but at the time we're recording, the first issue is not out. Are you planning to collect that one? Yeah, I'm definitely going to go pick that one up uh, right now just been getting the the main star wars title that's kind of lost my interest a little bit but i'm mm-hmm. pretty far backed up and behind on my uh, new comics reading really the only thing i'm current with right now is the uh, idw teenage mutant ninja turtle series and then the uh, neil adams superman series and the dan jurgens lois and clark superman series everything else i'm kind of behind my reading on but definitely looking forward to this one Poe was really one of the, the breakout characters for me that i want to see more yeah. of uh, and so between him and ray and uh Kylo Ren, definitely the the three characters that piqued my interest the most coming out of Force Awakens. So pretty much any time a series that's going to come out with them in the comics, I'm going to be all over that. Yeah, I want to see it. And I actually, I've seen the covers of the first three issues of Poe Dameron. uh, And one of them shows him and like four other pilots, like all from his squadron. And it was kind of funny because you recognize them. And now these characters have identities, like the bearded guy from the TV show Heroes. It's like, that's Snap Wexley. I know that character's name. Like, the woman. That's Jessica Pava. I know her name. Eh, It's kind of cool. I'm excited for that one. I'm going to pick up that one, and I think the new Black Panther series starts this week, too. So I'm going to get both of those. Uh, And then, the week after that, in the middle of April, finally, the C-3PO one-shot is coming out. 
the comic that explains how C-3PO got a red arm. Oh, this, finally. I've been losing sleep overnight wondering right? the story behind that. Finally. Okay. No kidding. In the in the Force Awakens special features, in one of like the making of featurettes, J.J. Abrams talks about that. And he says that they wanted some way to visually distinguish the droids of this era from the previous trilogy. And the thing that they came up with was, like, we'll just give C-3PO a different colored arm so that you can see a picture of him and say, okay, that's C-3PO from this era, from this movie. And he actually says in the features, he's like, the story of why he got that arm will be explained in a comic book. Like, Disney really thought this was a big deal because this this whole story, this issue, was supposed to come out back in December, the same week that the movie came out. I wonder how much of that was Disney and how much of it was maybe Hasbro. Hey, we could sell one more C-3PO <laughs> version of this because Hasbro loves to repaint shit and <laughs> reuse models, or the same uh, molds, because for a long time, that's pretty much all they did with their uh, Transformers line is they would come out with like I 10 know, molds and repaint each one of them eight times. Yeah. They're not moving enough Constable Zuvio units right now. Oh, my I God. Know, I don't know why, but... I remember him being launched in the first wave of figures. and like, oh, wow, this guy must be a big deal all over everything. And then I remember being super excited after the movie, and I wanted to buy a Kylo Ren figure and a Ray or whatever. And of course, all they had were peg warmers left and the damn Constable Zuvio. Everyone was like, wait, I don't remember seeing him anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? I must have missed that part. I'm... Damn, How was so... his scene then? Was that one of the, the cut scenes that you saw? No. No, no. He, he's not even in the deleted scenes. What the hell? It's, it's amazing. He's not in any of this stuff. Yeah, there's no Constable Zuvio scene. So that's going to be the ultimate collector's edition. It's me, Constable Zuvio, the Constable of Jakku, of course. That's going to be... Now, the... you know what? If, if you were smart, when these go on clearance, you'd buy, like, a ton of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 50 years from now, that's going to be the blue Snaggletooth. <laughs> Okay, well, folks, we are going to take a short break, play a promo for Kyle's podcast, but we'll be back in a couple of minutes with the best of the prequels. Hi, I'm Kyle Benning, and I love comics. In fact, I love them so much that I ramble on about them on a number of podcasts, all on one feed, found under the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun banner. I talk about comics with extra page counts, like Treasury Comics, Prestige Format Books, DC's Dollar Comics, Marvel's Giant Size Specials and King Size Daniels, and much, much more. I also love to talk about DC's Christ on Multiple Earth crossovers, free comics from Special Promos, Free Comic Book Day, Star Wars, My Life as a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, random comic book back issues, and many other elements of geek culture that happen to strike my fancy. There's new content usually dropping at least once a week, and it's all found on one feed. You can subscribe via iTunes. Just search for King Size Comics Giant Size Fun in the iTunes Store or podcast app on your iPhone. Otherwise, you can follow the podcast at the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun blog headquarters, available at www.kingsizecomicsgiantsizefun.blogspot.com. That's all one word, King Size Comics Giant Size Fun.blogspot.com. Or follow on Facebook by simply searching for King Size Comics Giant Size Fun. So for snappy review and discussions on comics, new and old, usually done from the front seat of my car or my lunch break at work, check out King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. A long time ago, on a spinner rack far, far away, 
From 1977 to 1986, Marvel Comics published comics based on the blockbuster movie hit Star Wars. Hey, I remember that comic. But Star Wars was not the only comic Marvel published based on someone else's property. Really? Tell me more. I will. I'll tell you much more in podcast form. Marvel's Cosmic Comics, a podcast covering Marvel's licensed publishing during the first Star Wars era. Like what? Well, Star Wars, of course. Of course. And Micronauts. Classic. Rom. Space Knight. Better than it should be. Shogun Warriors. No idea what it is, but it sounds awesome. John Carter, Warlord of Mars. I've heard of that. Star Trek. Motion picture era, isn't it? Godzilla. That was a comic. Man from Atlantis. So, Aquaman. Jack Kirby's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Wait. Really? That's a thing? A human fly. What? He was a real-life stuntman. You're just making stuff up now, aren't you? I wish I were. And there's much, much more. Anyway, join comic book fan, collector, and writer Ben Avery as he explores the good, the bad, and the ugly of Marvel's licensed sci-fi comics. Marvel's Cosmic Comics, found wherever you catch your podcasts and on the web at comicbooktimemachine.com. We're back. Kyle and I have each prepared a list of five legitimately good things about the Star Wars prequel trilogy. We haven't ranked these, I haven't anyway, in any particular order. These are just five things we liked. Now, to preface this segment, I do not like the prequel movies. To me, they are bad films, badly written, poorly directed, and not terribly well acted. And even more, they do not resonate with me as a Star Wars fan. They don't feel like they're in the same far, far away galaxy as the original trilogy. I do recognize that the prequels have their fans, though, which is why I try not to bash them needlessly on this podcast. And I can see some positive qualities in the films, things I wouldn't mind seeing more of. And that's what Kyle and I are going to be discussing now. So, what is one of the things that you liked about the prequel trilogy? All right, and I think you're probably going to have this one as well. These space battles, they're kind of few and far between, and uh, at some point, uh, they actually get to be a little too much. They're so chaotic, they're they're hard to, to follow, but uh, Star Wars movies, uh, cutting-edge technology, pushed the, the film industry forward. Definitely the, the case with the original trilogy. There are elements in the, the prequel trilogy that do that as well, and I think one is definitely the technological advances they were able to do with the, the space battles. Uh, my favorite of them, the most specific, would definitely have to be the uh, space battle to open uh, Revenge of the Sith. You know, I'm not a real big fan of the uh, Phantom Menace one, and Jake Lloyd, or whatever his name is, is terrible. Now this is pad racing line or anything like that. But but uh, I, I I remember going to the theater for uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith and just being blown away by how great that, that opening space battle was. I do not have the space battles on my list. I didn't think about those, but... Probably I didn't even I wasn't even thinking about the Revenge of the Sith one. Oh God! Then how the hell did you come up with five things? Because <laughs> I, I don't I don't hate the prequels as much. I find elements enjoyable. I can still rewatch them, but oh man, it, it was hard for me to sit down and articulate five things I like. Here's maybe the most striking thing of my list: two things come from the Phantom Menace. Three things come from Attack of the Clones. None of them come from Revenge of the Sith. I know that was not a, a pleasant movie viewing experience <laughs> it, for you. It, it was not, but um, the first thing I will mention is Darth Maul. Probably the safest pick, and I'm going to do this a couple times. I, I'm going to specify the look of Darth Maul. I went through a phase where I just hated him because I just thought like the look of Darth Maul is just something that you put on a skateboard. It's something that people who aren't real Star Wars fans would get a tattoo of. 
but at some point I was just like, you know what, let that go, and I think I've watched enough Darth Maul fan films that I can say, that's a really cool-looking character. Top to bottom, like the cool, like the black sort of like ninja feudal thing. He's like the samurai, but without the samurai armor and everything. There's more of like a, a leanness to him, the grace, the the quickness of his movement. He's got this demonic devil face and everything. It's a cool-looking character. The double-bladed lightsaber is cool. And I'm not going to deny it anymore just for the sake of bashing on those movies. Darth Maul looks cool. Now, I wish, I wish with so much that he was an actual character, because I don't think he is a character. He's just, he's like a ghost. He is like a special effect, like a vehicle. He just comes in and does things. Like, I wish he had actually been the main antagonist of The Phantom Menace. Get rid of Darth Sidious, the the guy pulling the strings in the background that we don't see. Actually make Darth Maul the mastermind of whatever planet he was. Like, say that he is the last surviving member of the Sith race or something. Just make something up and and give him a But if he did that, then then you couldn't have got his sweet brother, who I know is one of your favorite characters, (laughs) Savage Opress. Oh... I've actually I haven't I haven't seen him. I, I know the character exists, I know what he looks like, and I know that his name is Savage Opress. Uh but I haven't actually seen any of those episodes of the Clone Wars. But yeah, I what do you think? Is is Darth Maul on your list? He is, yes, yeah. very much so for pretty much everything you mentioned. And that's actually when I I saw some of the teaser images leading up to the the Phantom Menaces. I thought that that very same point that you were doing that, oh, maybe this guy is part of the race of the Sith. Mm -hmm. And, you know, definitely thought that he was going to be the Darth Vader of the the new trilogy, that maybe you'd see Anakin having a throne room battle with him as the kind of finale in Revenge of the Sith. And uh, it's too bad that he went out the way he did. Apparently having the high ground doesn't matter when you have a (laughs) double-bladed lightsaber, but... And no, he he was stunning visually. Uh, the way he fought, I mean, was unlike anything we'd ever seen. Ray right. Park is just amazing. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I think they had a lot of potential there, and they kind of squandered it with him. Mm-hmm. I know. I mean, Ray Park as as an athlete, as a stuntman, everything he was he's great, and he was he burned bright. He had all of these different roles around the same time. He was Toad in the X Men movies. He was the headless Horseman, I think, in the Sleepy Hollow movie with Johnny Depp, but if they had actually gone with a legitimate actor and just swapped him out for some of those fight scenes, I think they could have made that a character and carried him through more than one movie. Because everybody left that thinking they wanted more of that guy. What wasted potential. Well, and that's one thing I have to question because uh, I've seen him in movies where he speaks more than the whatever it was, the total of 10 words of dialogue he had in The Phantom Menace. And I really don't think he's that bad of his line delivery. I mean, he's certainly not any worse than Hayden Christensen, who they built the last two movies around. Well, so. that's not Ray Park's voice. That's somebody, oh, else, really, somebody else did the voiceover. I did not realize they uh, voiced over him. Yeah, it was like the same treatment as uh, as David Prowse got during when the original Star Wars came out. He had oh, no wow. idea that they were going to redo his voice with James Earl Jones. I think Ray Park was the exact same way. When he heard it, he was like, that's not me speaking. <laughs> okay, so you have the space battles. You have Darth Maul is also on your list. Was there anything else you wanted to add to him? No, I uh, just... Uh, Pretty much, you you hit the nail on the head. I, okay. Visual aesthetic was pretty awesome. I was pretty excited. They seemed to market him really well going into the film. But it's fortunate that he was one and done. 
All right, then my second thing that I will mention is the battle between Obi-Wan Kenobi versus Jango Fett on Kamino in Attack of the Clones. It's not the best choreographed fight. Uh, it's, it's pretty overproduced. There are elements of it that are silly, borderline, kind of dumb. However, I've always had a soft spot for this fight because it was the first time in any of the Star Wars movies where we really saw a Jedi going up against a non-Jedi in a fight that was really even. Uh, and I thought that was very cool, very interesting. It was a fight in a rainstorm over an ocean planet. It was a different environment that we'd ever seen. It was Obi-Wan fighting a guy that looked like Boba Fett. You could just squint your eyes and imagine he was fighting Boba Fett. So I, I like that battle. It's not the greatest, it's not the best choreographed. I don't think it'll hold up really well under scrutiny. But the idea of that fight is something that I've always really liked. Yeah, that's something that I wouldn't even have thought of that one. Uh, it is pretty neat. You mentioned uh, an interesting thing. Yeah, that's really the only time we've seen like a, a manned, skilled human with a, a gun and jetpack kind of technology going against a Jedi with a lightsaber. You kind of get that force versus technology battle, which mm-hmm. I think was kind of a, a sub-theme that ran through every movie in the original trilogy. I mean, you have Luke ignoring the, the navigating computer to blow up this big technological menace using the force. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, that's kind of the only moment I can think of in the prequel trilogy where you really kind of had a showdown between technology, you know, with the, the jetpack and the gun versus kind of the old way, the force way. And really, I mean, prior to that in the classic trilogy, I mean, we're kind of talking about Luke Skywalker on Jabba's sail barge just cutting through swarms of Jabba's pirates. None of them really held up that well. And I guess... In The Force Awakens, we get a lightsaber versus the, you know, First Order, like, stun baton. It's similar. It's still, like, kind of a melee fight, and Finn was not a Jedi, so it's interesting, but... Okay, so what is uh, what is the third thing on your list? Uh, let's see. We'll go with uh, Ian McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Okay. I think if he is not in those movies, they are completely unwatchable. I think he was really kind of the, the glue that held those movies together, and... I always liked Obi-Wan Kenobi, but obviously you don't see a whole lot of him outside of the, the first movie. And then every time he shows up after that, he's lying. So uh, <laughs> it, it was great to see him kind of fleshed out and really kind of get the understanding of why this guy is so great and significant that he wasn't just a Jedi. He was really kind of one of the, the best of the best. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed Obi-Wan's arc uh, throughout the film. If he would have been paired with a... Anakin actor that was half as decent as him, uh, you would have had a, a lot better dynamic, I think, in the last two movies uh, between the two. I think a, a better script and better material also would have gone. Yeah, definitely. To, you to you never see any of that uh, brotherly right. relationship between them. Yeah, I didn't have him on my list either, but that's definitely a good point. And when they first started talking about doing these, you know, kind of like solo movies, these anthology films, these standalone ones, I really didn't want to go back to the prequel era or anything like that, but somebody was like, what about an Obi-Wan Kenobi film, you know, set after Revenge of the Sith where he's on his own and he's really the last Jedi hiding out? I was like, okay, if they could get you and McGregor back for that, I would be all on board for that. I would love to see him get another chance at the character with real material to sink his teeth into with like a real good script and a writer who's going to or sorry a director who's going to work with him and craft a good story that would be really cool 
Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, he's really the only true like character we actually see in the prequels. Uh, we kind of see multiple multiple layers of him with his uh, relationship with Dex. You kind of get that he's got a little bit of a, a non-Jedi kind of shady mm-hmm. side. He, he goes and unwinds and he likes to get drunk in bars and <laughs> send people home to rethink their life after they try to sell him death sticks. <laughs> plus, plus, I still think that he and B. Arthur from the holiday special are Ray's grandparents. So, <laughs> I would be on board with that. I really <laughs> hope she is a Kenobi. <laughs> All right. Um, no, that's good. I, I didn't pick that, but it's sort of kind of leaning into my third pick, which is Christopher Lee as Count Dooku. And again, this is the caveat where I wish they could have done more with this character. I wish they could have done so much more. But, you know, I, I was watching Attack of the Clones, mostly bored out of my mind, but as soon as he stepped on screen, I just sort of straightened up a little bit, and I was like, oh, okay, this is something else. He had his history. He was really good friends with Peter Cushing, who played Grand Moff Tarkin, of course, and it was nice that they were kind of continuing that legacy, bringing him in, and if he had been... If he had been a real strong presence throughout those trilogy, either as kind of the major bad guy in all three movies, or or a good guy who sort of got swayed or got pulled away, or if he was somebody who was who was lying to them, it, I don't know. If they just done something more with that character, but just all of his scenes in Attack of the Clones, with the exception of when he has to fight Yoda. Yeah, I think he alone as a character and as an actor. And just the look, he's just got this very simple, plain, regal, black look with a brown cape. I, I liked. I would have liked to have seen more of that, more of him. Oh, I definitely agree. And we had talked about it on an episode of Dead Moth on Spies that you'd had me on. That, mm-hmm. God, just with a couple little tweaks, they could have made Dooku's character a lot more interesting. You have that moment in uh, Attack of the Clones where he's pretty much laying it all on the table with Obi-Wan that, hey person that's in charge of the senate is you know this mysterious sith lord and everything mm-hmm. i would have liked the idea that I, and obviously uh, you're a fan of the tales of the jedi series as yep. well that uh, if it would have gone along the lines of dooku realized that the jedi had lost their way that there was a true evil in the universe the sith menace and that the only way to defeat that was to leave the jedi go off on his own mm-hmm. and he was arrogant enough to think that he could beat the dark side from within we've seen that right. Story told a number of times in the Tales of the Jedi as well as the Dark Empire. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of loses his way. That would have been an interesting way to go about it. Definitely because you would have had that seeded a little bit in the Phantom Menace that you can tell that Qui-Gon's not really on board with everything the Jedi Council is doing or advocating. Right. And or, so it was like they, they had the legwork there and then just screwed the pooch in the end. Right. Or if he had been something, a character similar to Joris Sabaoth from the, the Thrawn novels, if he was a Jedi who just preferred more of a proactive hand and was a little bit more commanding and thought that basically became corrupted by his power and thought that just having the Force gave him the right to govern in a certain Come way. Kind of like a Sinestro, yeah. Very much. I was actually just thinking of him, too. I was like, the way I'm describing this, I was like, I'm basically talking about Sinestro from the Green Lantern books. But So, what's number four on your list? I had uh, the world building. that We got to see more planets and really kind of a, a flesh out of the rest of this galaxy. It gives us a, a little greater understanding of more planets that are out there, more diverse life that's out there, I guess, and how far-reaching the Old Republic that turns into the Empire actually was. Mm-hmm. Going back to the original trilogy, all we ever really see from a 
Empire Stronghold standpoint are two mechanical space stations, the Death Stars, and then a whole bunch of you know, Imperial star cruisers. We don't really ever see their home world or home base, so it's kind of nice to see Coruscant fleshed out, as well as you know just some of the other planets out there. It's great to see Kashyyyk mm-hmm. in a not-holiday Christmas special. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, there was definitely, definitely some neat new worlds, and they were, at least at the time, able to do some pretty amazing things with the, the special effects to kind of show these massive cities. I really enjoyed the, I guess, nature scenery uh, of Naboo. There were some neat moments underwater there and kind of in the, the new Naboo jungles. They were different than what we'd seen on Yavin or Indoor. So. Mm-hmm. I really think Naboo strikes me as the type of world that Alderaan was. And I really think they missed the opportunity to make Alderaan an important location in the prequels. Because then it would mean more to us when it's destroyed. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, we, I'm trying to think is is the only time we see it just in the last five minutes there, Revenge mm-hmm. of the Sith, when mm-hmm. Leia goes with Bale. That's it. That's the only time we see it in the movie. Yeah, and that that scene very much is kind of reminiscent of Naboo. You kind of get like a, yeah. a misty jungle environment coming out with uh, regal cities based on that. Yeah. Yeah, I think they spend more time on Alderaan and one of the like Knights of the Old Republic video games. But uh, the fourth thing on my list is another character. It's primarily based on her look, but it's Zam Wessel, the assassin who tries to kill Padme in the beginning of Attack of the Clones. Now, Gwendolyn Christie, who plays Captain Phasma in the new one, keeps saying that she is the first female villain in a Star Wars movie. And I keep wanting to tell her, no, you're not. Zam Wessel was. Um, She is the changing, I mean, I guess if, if her true form was a male and she just impersonated a woman, but no, but she's the first female. Um, she's a bounty hunter, mercenary assassin for hire that Django Fett outsources to kill Padme. And I just, I really like her look. She's got this purple kind of jumpsuit and like this sort of veil over her face uh, and, and like a hat with like this really kind of lean kind of feminine pistol it's just a really cool look like she would be a great bounty hunter i would like to see more stories about that character yeah i agree she was fairly intriguing and i mean we only see her on screen for what five minutes maybe that kind of opening chase scene through coruscant before she's uh killed before she can reveal too much to uh obi-wan and we get more uh character development out of her and more kind of a on-screen presence than we get out of a lot of the, the mainstays throughout the trilogy right that's and that's all that I got for that one. Just it's that character primarily based on her appearance because we don't know a whole lot about her, but we don't know a whole lot about Dengar and IG eighty eight from their appearances in the movies. So but That's think, true. And there is a bit of a, a bounty hunter curse. The the more they're on screen, the more they actually kinda of suck. <laughs> true, true. They are best as just quiet, mysterious things in the background, but Okay, what is the fifth and final thing on your list? Uh, well, I, uh, I'm not sure which one I because I, I thought of an honorable mention here, and now well, I don't. You can, you can give an honorable mention because I've got an honorable mention too. So, all right, you, before before we hit number five, what is your honorable mention? Uh, I'm going to go the shag route and go really low brow, and <laughs> it would have been uh, Natalie Portman in the last half of Attack of the Clones. <laughs> I think that's been touched up now on subsequent DVD releases. If you saw it in theaters, you know what I mean. I was, I don't know, 14, 15, 16 years old when that came out. And uh, 
pretty entertained there the the last half of that okay all right you know where i'm going with on this i do it you're not just talking about her <laughs> midriff revealing shirt you're talking about above that yes yes, yes. yeah I, I know what you're talking about okay <laughs> <laughs> she's hot my honorable mention will be just from the giddy fanboy perspective i remember the first time seeing two lightsabers two heroic lightsabers and the idea that we were now in a world where the jedi are plentiful and that we could see them working together as fighting units on the same side and it's not all going to be a one-on-one duel so just Kind of the first time that uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan ignite their lightsabers together, even though it's kind of a wasted moment, but what that represented and what that meant as just kind of a fanboy seeing that for the first time. That was really cool. So that would be my honorable mention. I'm actually kind of disappointed. I didn't I didn't think of that for my actual list because I remember going to the Phantom Menace and we get to see that pretty early, you know, when they go to meet mm-hmm. to, with mm-hmm. the uh, Separatists, they're the, the Trade Federation. And we see that chamber fill up with gas and then just light up and come out of the chamber and just start mowing through droids. Mm-hmm. I probably fist pumped in the theater. That was awesome. <laughs> they set the they set the movie off on the, the right tone. Unfortunately, Jar Jar comes along not too uh, long after that. So he's not your number five. No, no, okay. he is not my number five, even though he is the true Phantom Menace and the <laughs> master Sith Lord behind everything. Uh, <laughs> as we shall see alright what is your legit number 5 uh, is, it has to be the Obi-Wan Anakin lightsaber duel at the end of Revenge of the Sith it okay. would have been a lot better if it hadn't been intertwined with a lightsaber battle between Yoda and Palpatine that should have never happened but yeah. uh, the actual fight itself uh, between Obi-Wan and Anakin is pretty great we get to see how evenly matched they are uh, force pushing and they cover probably like five miles of ground as they're fighting they must have some pretty great jedi boots that don't melt when they're hovering over the lava and kind of ends on a lackluster conclusion there with the awesome the, the high ground is this legit thing and we've seen obi-wan be on the other side of that and cut darth maul in half but uh at that point after anakin's killed little kids you're just kind of glad to watch him get all three limbs cut off and then light on fire <laughs> And you're also kind of thinking, God, as much as I love Darth Vader, he's my favorite character. Uh, there was just too big of a assumed gap there of what we saw of uh, Christensen there to the grabbing rebel troopers and lifting them up off the ground as we see him make his entrance in uh, Star Wars there. So at that point, I was kind of hoping that, why didn't Obi-Wan just kick him in the lava and finish it? <laughs> so actually, that doesn't sound like that's really that great, but I actually really enjoy that lightsaber fight. So. I was listening to another show. I think it was the Star Wars Minute podcast. And somebody on the show brought up the point. Like, for for somebody who is brand new to Star Wars, who's watching him from the beginning, you know, they start off, their first exposure to Anakin is he is an innocent 10-year-old kid with, okay, maybe some ominous threats that this kid, you know, could potentially be dangerous. But for all intents and purposes, he is our hero and he continues to be our hero in Attack of the Clones. And if you follow into the Clone Wars saga, you know, you got seven years of him being the hero in that. And then you get to Revenge of the Sith, where he just turns dark quickly and starts killing his friends and killing kids and ends up just burning alive, basically, after having all of these things. Like, 
for somebody who just thinks like Anakin is their hero that they've spent, you know, if they're watching the cartoons, they've spent 30 hours with this guy <laughs> as as their main character, and all of a sudden he becomes a child killer and he's burning alive in a volcano, and it's like, what the heck happened to this guy? <laughs> you know, for us, for us, he was Darth Vader first, and we got to see how he got to that point. But for like a new like a new viewer. They're seeing it in chronological order. It's like, what the heck happened to this character? I thought I knew. Yeah, that had to have been fairly traumatic. Yeah. But so. uh, still, uh, his fall was, man, that was disappointing. You know, when Obi-Wan says that uh, Darth Vader betrayed his father and with the Emperor hunted down and killed Jedi, I then think he meant eight-year-old Jedi. But, <laughs> well... Uh, Oh, okay, I, I don't. I, no, I'm not. I'm going to take that. Got to move on. Okay, my the fifth and final thing on my list, and I did kind of rank this. This is my favorite thing about all of the prequels, which I'm sure this will sound like a backhanded compliment when I say this because it is the first thing we see in the Phantom Menace after the main title, after the opening crawl. It is that red consular class Republic cruiser that Obi-Wan and, and Qui-Gon arrive in. That ship, I just love the design of that ship. It's it's a little bit evoking of the uh, the Corellian Corvette from the beginning of Star Wars. It's kind of an adaptation of some early concept designs for the Millennium Falcon. It's got like this kind of like angular thing with like these big three engines in the back. I just I like the look of it. I would put that ship up against almost any of the ships from the classic trilogy. Like, in terms of how much I like the design of that ship. That's my wow. favorite thing in all the prequels. And it's weird, it's silly, it's like, it's not a moment, it's just a ship design, but I think they nailed that. And when I first saw that, I was like, oh, this is going to be good, that feels like a Star Wars ship. And then and then we got to Jar Jar, and things went away. But uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's it. That's my favorite part of the prequels. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's probably the really only original vehicle we see in here that still has that classic Star Wars aesthetic. I mean, as we get later on, we yeah. see kind of proto X-Wings or A-Wings. Right. But uh, we talked about it, I think it was on the episode where we covered the uh, Shattered Empire yeah. four-issue miniseries of just how un-Star Wars-like the Naboo fighters looked. Like they yeah, were I think almost was... like a like a French racing vehicle. Or, right, uh, right. And even they like were just the... too clean. Yeah, and the Naboo ships, they're like this, this sort of aerodynamic, just silver chrome thing. It's like, that does not look Star Wars. What universe is that from? But that yeah. first ship we see, the Republic Cruiser, that looks like a Star Wars ship. So, yeah. Yeah, no. It it really started out uh, on the right beats between that ship and then the mm-hmm. we talked about earlier the Qui-Gon and uh, Obi-Wan just kind of mowing through battle droids there. It's it's all when they go to Naboo that it all goes to hell. <laughs> Should have never got off that droid control ship. Should have just taken that over. Stay stay in the flying donut ship. But. Yep. <laughs> All right, Kyle. Well, thank you very much for this discussion. But before you go, it is time for you to answer the galactic questionnaire that every guest on Give Me Those Star Wars must take. Question number one. Would you rather drive Luke Skywalker's land speeder from Star Wars A New Hope or Rey's speeder from The Force Awakens? That's a really tough one, and uh, I think I'm going to have to go with the the Luke's land speeder. Ah, I can't remember which guest you said, but 
maybe it was you that called uh, Ray's the the fudge sickle. I just can't get past that. <laughs> it wasn't me. It was one of the other guests. But I thought I thought the farmer in you would uh, would go for the Ray's uh, speeder because it looks like a tractor without the wheels. Yeah, it kind of does. But yeah. I, which right. whichever pretty much it boiled down to whichever one goes fastest. Okay, I'm gonna assume that Luke's goes faster. But all right, uh, second question. Classic Imperial Stormtrooper or First Order Stormtrooper? This is another one. This is this is the problem with going sixth. Originally, I probably would have said New Order Stormtrooper, but was it Mike Gillis to call them duck bills? And yep. since then, I can't get past that. So, original, <laughs> original Stormtrooper. <laughs> <sighs> Mike, you're ruining everything for us. Hey, that, that episode was probably the... I subscribed to like 60 podcast episodes. Your guys' Lando episode was probably my favorite single podcast episode of 2016. That was an incredible episode. So I think about how high quality that one was and then how low quality this one was me <laughs> on here talking about prequels. It's gonna be, so. well, I consider that episode Mike's Lando episode because I don't think I said very much. I said, what do you think of Lando? And then he spoke for an hour and a half. But <laughs> Question three, would you rather have a lightsaber or Boba Fett's jetpack? Lightsaber, without a question. All right. Number four, would you rather live on Tatooine or Dagobah? I'm going to have to go with Dagobah. I'm actually, option C would be Hoth. I'm more of a cold weather guy, but okay. uh, right. I'd rather I'd rather have the woods and the sand. So uh, go with Dagobah. All right. Uh, number five, not counting Boba Fett, who is the coolest bounty hunter introduced in The Empire Strikes Back? Uh, let's see. Mummy, Jummy, Cash. No, wait. Uh <laughs> No, uh, that's a tough one between uh, IG-88 and Bosk. I really like uh, both of them. My, my love for IG-88 probably comes from the uh, Shadows of the Empire tie-in toy line, uh-huh. The Power of the Force. They released the Boba Fett IG-88 two-pack that came with a original comic. Uh, but, man, I always liked uh, the look of Bosk, especially kind of gives that snarl to the uh, Imperial officer there that mentions the bounty hunter or scum. Kind yeah. of. I'm going to have to go with Bosk. You're going to have to go with Bosk, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, number six, would you rather go on a date with Princess Leia or Carrie Fisher? Is Princess Leia in the slave girl costume? <laughs> you can make that stipulation. All right, sure. Um, number seven, if you had the Force, would you be pulled to the light side or the dark side? That really depends on how many people you can Force choke be- before it's considered dark side. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's assume it's between zero and one. Luke uh, force chokes two Gamorrean guards. That is true. I mean, is it like a per day thing, a per month, per year? <laughs> as long as you're not really angry when you do it, it doesn't count. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we could get into like a species racism thing. Or if they're you know Gamor, if they're pigmen, are they less human? Or ooh, that that's got to be a really kind of dark side mentality. I mean, that seemed to be the the emperor's old shtick, right? He was kind of a he was a human supremacist, yeah. So all right, well, Kyle, thank you very much for being on this episode of Give Me Those Star Wars. Where can people find you online if they want to hear more from you? Uh, I have a couple different podcasts on one feed. It's at the uh, King Size Comics Giant Size Fun podcast feed. Uh, it's available on iTunes, or you can go to my blog and podcast headquarters, which is King Size Comics Giant Size Fun There, I talk about anything that strikes my fancy in the, the world of geekdom and comics on various shows. And then I also have a relatively new podcast that is the Superman and Captain Marvel Power Hour podcast that uh, covers. My two favorite uh, DC characters, the original Captain Marvel, who people might refer to as Shazam, and then uh, Superman. That's available at supermancaptainmarvel.blogspot.com. 
All right. Well, thank you one more time for being on the show. It was great to talk to you again, and I know I'll have you back in the future. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Ben Burt came in to the room where Ren and I were working, and he knew that I did a lot of radio and voice stuff. And he said, well, do you want to try out for some voices for Star Wars? We're doing a new The Jedi movie. And he showed me the picture of Admiral Ackbar, and, he, and I did it. It's a trap. So, so you did it. I, I mean, just you, did it. You just came up with a voice? They didn't give you any direction? Well, I saw the face, and uh-huh. I knew what he must sound like. And and I did it. I was doing that a lot. In one take? In one take. Yeah. And uh, it was just an hour. And then he said, why don't you do this thing for Bib Fortuna? They want a wonder. And so I did that in... I don't know, half hour. But you didn't get credit for No, there's no credit. And so nobody knew that I existed. We got some great feedback after the last two episodes. I am not going to read any of the comments from episode five, but they were all very flattering. I really hope you enjoyed the April Fool's Diversion episode. Nathaniel and I had a blast recording that one. About 25% of what you heard was pre-planned. The rest was us just riffing with each other. Uh, It was a lot of fun. And when I pitched the idea to the other guys on the Fire and Water Network, they all came back really quickly with those amazing and hysterical promos for fake podcasts. It was so much fun. I'm very proud of that episode. I'm assuming you enjoyed it because I got a ton of people who wrote in, either on the website or privately, that they wish that it had been a regular show that they could listen to every week. All I can say to that end is there may be an Indiana Jones podcast from the Fire and Water Network some point in the future. I cannot say it's definitely going to happen, nor can I say who would be involved if it does happen. But there have been conversations, let's say. We've got top men working on it. Uh, As for episode four, you'll remember that that was the episode where Mark Marble and I discussed Rey's vision in The Force Awakens, and also speculated on her possible lineage. Rob Kelly from the Film and Water podcast and Who's Who said, I missed my chance to see The Force Awakens a fifth time in the theater, so I will be buying it the day that it comes out. I haven't said this about a Star Wars movie since the original trilogy was put on DVD. And Rob continues, regarding the feedback, Shag is very susceptible to every cockamamie fan theory that crosses his path. Remember when he thought Luke was Kylo Ren? Hashtag never forget. We won't forget, Rob. In fact, I'm going to come back to one of Shag's theories later on. Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast and Power Records said, I had never heard the Ray is Obi-Wan's granddaughter theory until our Force Awakens roundtable, Ryan, but I liked it. Chris is referring to episode 22 of the Film and Water podcast. That's where Rob, Shag, Chris, and I debriefed after the Force Awakens opening weekend. Chris goes on, Put me down as wanting to see Ewan McGregor back as Obi-Wan in some fashion. Easily the best aspect of the prequels, bar none. Okay, so we know where Chris stands on the lists that Kyle and I came up with for this episode. The whip-cracking, snake-charming Nathaniel Wayne from Council of Geeks and 90s Comics Retrial Podcast said, You got much more mileage out of this topic than I would have thought. I don't think there's much to be read into the reordering of the vision portion from the novel, which can be assumed to be how it was in the script, to the film. I think you can chalk it up to the basic, that just flows better, discoveries that happen in editing. As for Rey appearing to experience such a wide range of things that she was both present for and were experienced by others, 
I took it as Rey taking hold of the lightsaber as basically just jolting awake her force sensitivity, and then she was flooded with things she both remembered herself and was experiencing for the first time. I find the idea of Rey being both Luke's daughter and Obi-Wan's granddaughter to be an interesting one, though like you, I would still much prefer she not be related to anybody of note, but doubt that will be the case. Well, I agree with Nathaniel in that I think the Force, using the lightsaber as a sort of lightning rod, I guess, gave Rey a massive info dump for us, the audience, but also for Rey herself. The Force was telling her, this is stuff you need to know, slash remember. And this presents a very interesting sort of reimagining of the Force itself, maybe, that I plan to talk about on a future episode. We got a couple of comments on Facebook after episode 4. Patrick Kramer left a comment on the Fire and Water Network Facebook post, basically saying the possibility that Rey is a descendant of Obi-Wan Kenobi is the most interesting idea. He doesn't want her to be a Skywalker or a Solo any more than I do. Uh, and on the regular Facebook page for Give Me Those Star Wars, Abel Padilla wrote in, One possibility that Ryan might have not noticed in his planned fanboy anger about Luke being her dad, in the chaos after the assault on the Jedi Temple, Luke could have mistakenly believed that Rey was killed or lost. If Luke was away when the assault occurred, somebody else could have rescued young Rey with the intent to rejoin Luke later. The decision to leave her behind on Jakku might have been a last-minute, desperate attempt to draw off Kylo Ren's forces that ended badly. I don't think it's a case of childhood abandonment and neglect. Uh, I responded to Abel on the Facebook post, I definitely get the feeling that Rey was left on Jakku as an act of desperation. Whoever left her with Unkar Plutt had to get away from her or get her away from something or someone. Hiding her from Kylo Ren or the First Order or the Knights of Ren seems like a good bet, especially if she's been waiting for that person to come back all this time, but we later discover that the forces of evil found them and killed them. That would line up with Maz Kanata's line that whoever Rey was waiting for is never coming back. However, the part about Abel's theory that I took issue with is the notion that Luke mistakenly thought she was dead. If Luke knew her already, whether he was her father or just a teacher, he is strong enough in the Force that he should have been able to sense her death or not. Maybe in the heat of the moment when a bunch of kids are slaughtered, the sense of death and the dark side would overwhelm him, but eventually he would have been able to tell that she wasn't among the dead, and I can't believe he would have given up searching for her if he knew she was still out there. Now, this brings me to the Irredeemable Shag's new theory. He posted this on the Fire & Water website, and then he and I talked about it privately on Facebook, too. The gist of it is, Shag believes that Kylo Ren is the one who dropped Rey off on Jakku. Maybe their brother and sister, maybe not. The relationship doesn't matter at this point. But Shag says Kylo Ren massacred people in the Jedi Temple, but when he found Rey, he couldn't bring himself to slaughter this innocent little girl. This was part of the doubt that he struggled with throughout The Force Awakens. So he spares her life, but he's got to get rid of her. Supreme Leader Snoke cannot learn about this weakness, and Kylo Ren can't leave her for Luke Skywalker to find and train. So he drops her off on Jakku with a slave master, and he puts a Force whammy on her mind so she forgets everything about the Jedi and the Force. This is why Kylo Ren freaks out when he hears the mention of a girl helping BB-8 and Finn get away from Jakku. Now, Shag has come up with some silly, borderline, nonsensical fan theories in the past, but I'm not going to dismiss this one out of hand. I don't think he's completely right, but I really like the idea of Kylo Ren leaving her on Jakku. 
So let me revise Shag's theory a little bit. First, I don't think Rey was at the Jedi Temple. I don't think she was ever trained by Luke. Looking back at the Force vision, Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren slaughtered a whole lot of people during this rainstorm. We see Kylo killing one guy, and then they're surrounded by a whole lot of dead bodies. This scene is not at the Jedi Temple. This is confirmed. The scene of the slaughter is a different time and a different place than when Rey sees Luke and R2-D2 discovering the temple. In the screenplay or the book somewhere, the bodies on the ground in the rainstorm are described as the tribe, and I think Pablo Hidalgo or Leland Chi, somebody at Lucasfilm in charge of the Star Wars continuity, described them as being believers in the Jedi cause like Max von Sydow's character in the beginning of the film. It is also in this scene that Kylo Ren looks up and seems to notice adult Rey having the vision. So let's say Rey wasn't at the Jedi Temple. She wasn't one of Luke's trainees. She was just a girl in this village, part of the tribe. And the Knights of Ren come a-calling and wipe out the tribe, but Kylo Ren finds her and has a moment of weakness, the pull toward the light, as he called it. He can't execute her, and he can't leave her to the elements. In an act of desperation, he takes her away from the massacre, but he's got to save face in front of the Knights of Ren, and he cannot let Snoke learn about this moment of weakness. He needs to ditch this girl, so he drops her at the first habitable station he can get to, which happens to be Jakku. My biggest problem with the idea that she was Luke or Leia's daughter has always been her living conditions on Jakku, a young girl left on a mostly lawless planet where... Let's be real here. Death was not the worst thing that could have happened to her growing up in these conditions. Can you really believe Luke Skywalker or Princess Leia or Han Solo would leave their daughter to that kind of life? Not if they knew she was alive, and they would have to know that she was alive. Leia could feel Han Solo's death from across the galaxy, and she's not half as strong in the Force as Luke is. There is simply no way that any of them would have abandoned her to that life, and that's why I don't believe she's the daughter of any of them. But Kylo Ren doesn't love her. She ain't his sister. He doesn't care what happens to her just so long as her blood isn't literally on his hands until they meet again, because destiny brings them together in The Force Awakens, and it will again in the future. That is all for this episode. Once again, I want to thank Kylo Benning for appearing on this show. I want to thank everyone who left a comment or supported the show on social media. If you enjoyed the show and you have a couple of minutes to spare, why not leave a review on iTunes? You'll be helping other people discover this podcast, and you'll be saving me from the Well, the crippling fear of failure I contend with every day. Give Me Those Star Wars is a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Feedback for this podcast can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Give Me Those Star Wars. You can find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01 or you can send an email to rdailypodcast at gmail.com. Part of the theme for this podcast is performed by the Evil Genius Orchestra from their album Star Wars Cocktails in the Cantina, available for purchase on iTunes and at Amazon Music. That and all other music, audio clips, or quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. Give Me Those Star Wars is not affiliated with Disney or Lucasfilm, and I make no money from this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Thank you.